You're listening to The First Gen Coach. I'm your host, Carla Santamaria, a civic engagement professional turned mindset and career coach. As a first-gen immigrant, college grad, and corporate professional, I have experienced firsthand the many struggles and challenges that first-gen professional Latinas and women of color often face when navigating unfamiliar and unfriendly corporate environments. In this podcast, I will share insights for career success and will feature inspiring and successful first-gen women to share their journey and their stories. If you're ready to tap into a growing community of first-gen professionals, you've come to the right place. Hello, first-gen friends. Welcome back to the show. I am so excited about today's episode because it has been a long time coming. It's something that I've had on my mind to do for months and months, and I finally decided to record it and release it now during the month of October because October is both National Substance Abuse Prevention Month and Youth Substance Use Prevention Month. Today's episode is a conversation with life and recovery coach Jazz Murudumbai. She is a Canadian-born, Ecuadorian daughter of immigrants, and she works with clients to change the narrative of their drinking and how they can find sobriety in their life. So I met Jazz earlier this year, and we immediately connected, and we talked about doing this show. And then, of course, as you know, if you've been listening, I, I ended up taking a break and and then focusing on my coaching practice. Uh, but timing ends up working out in the best way possible because, as I said before, October is National Substance Abuse Prevention Month. I first found out about this month uh, years ago when I worked at the University of Miami. I don't. I think I was in grad school at the time, and I saw some sort of poster in the student center about um, about the month, and I was like, "Oh, I didn't know that was a thing." Uh, so in this episode, we talk about the narratives and both the narratives, you know, so jazz. Uh, shares her story with alcohol use, alcohol abuse, and eventually recovery. It's a really beautiful, powerful story that I am so happy that I get to feature on this show. And we also talk about the many different ways that we as first-gen professionals can end up coping in an unhealthy way in you know, due to our corporate environment or or not really having that blueprint for what success in the professional sector may look like. So, you know, we talked about that. We talked about the cultural expectations. I, I actually talked a little bit about my own experience with alcohol, which is not something that I've ever done in this show or really ever much talk about. As you all know, I was raised Mormon. So that, you know, played a big part in into that. Um, but in this conversation, we talk so much more beyond, you know, like alcohol use and recovery because we are all multifaceted individuals. And we talk about how our career really is influenced by our culture and the experiences that we see from those around us. So I'm just truly, truly, truly excited uh, for you all to listen and for you all to get to know Jazz. She is on Instagram as Life and Recovery Coach. And as always, if you have learned something from this show or you have unlearned something from this show, please 
share us on your story, share it on your story, tag me at Carla, the first gen coach. If you're listening on Apple podcast, please rate and review. It really helps the show grow and it really, really, really would mean a lot to me. And I appreciate you all so much. So thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for being part of this first gen coach community. Now let's get into the show with Jasmine. Hi, Jazz. Welcome to the show. Hi, Carla. How are you? I am great. Thank you so much for being on. Um, So why don't we start off with you telling uh, our listeners a little bit about yourself? Okay. So I'm, my name is Jazz. I am a life and recovery coach and I'm based in Toronto, Canada. And I also work with clients online. And so what I do is I work with women that are, um, that are drinking too much, um, possibly have an addiction or like sober curious um, to, to change the narrative and stop seeing like their last drinking episode as a way to beat themselves up and to like, let's look and see why you're drinking, like what's going on um, inside sometimes it's circumstances outside of themselves that is causing them to keep going back to drinking. And that's been their way of life coping. Um, Sometimes they've started when they were young at 14. I know my story was I started at 14. So when did it all all start and, and what is it that's causing you to, to keep going back to drinking instead of that, the beating yourself up, Let's just change the narrative so that way you can change your drinking. That is wonderful. I actually don't think I've ever met anyone who who focuses on that. So I am really excited to be having this conversation. And I like what you said about changing the narrative, because as a career and mindset coach, one of the things that I, well, I mean, the, the mindset and like the stories that we tell ourselves is such a big part of like what jobs we can apply to or what, you know, like basically not even just our, our jobs, but even if our life in general, the stories we tell ourselves shape our lives. So definitely yeah. going to talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But before we get there, can you tell us about your journey? Who is Jazz? You said you're based out of Toronto. How did you end up there? And how did you end up in this life and recovery coaching space? Okay, so as, as I said, um, I'm, I was born and raised in Toronto and my parents immigrated from Ecuador in 74. And um, I just, I grew up in Toronto and part of my narrative was I grew up around people that drank. Like it was just drinking was the norm. It was that the mentality of like, you work hard Monday to Friday and then Friday you go out and party until Sunday. And so for me, I always just saw people that drank. So it was easy at 14 to continue that narrative and to uh, go to school Monday to Friday and party the whole weekend pick yourself up on Monday and just continue that right and so yeah I grew up always just with around drinking until I I uh, just loved it so much because here's the thing with alcohol was when I used to see people drinking in my family I would just go what is it that's making them change why what is it that they're drinking that's making them feel good and different 
And when I picked up my first drink and I had that taste of alcohol, it was like this like euphoria of like, oh my God, this is what they were feeling. And it might not necessarily be all the adults that were drinking, but for me, it was like, I, I could understand and relate to the ones that were like drinking for that same effect. And it just, I fell in love with alcohol because I loved what it did to me, right? It made me feel um, normal. It made me feel like a different person. I always walked around like just being uncomfortable in my own skin, always wishing that I was another girl, you know, that pretty blonde girl, because growing up in Toronto, it felt like there wasn't a lot of Latinas there. I felt like it was just like a lot of just like um, white people that were just in that area. And it just, for me, it was like, what's wrong with me? Like, what's wrong with my skin? Why am I bringing rice to school when everybody's bringing sandwiches? Mm -hmm. Right. And yeah, so that made me feel different. So I would see like this, you know, cute blonde girl and go, oh my God, if I had her life, then my life would be different. It would be like hers. Right. So I always wanted to just be someone else except for myself. Yeah. That is so interesting because, um, you know, you mentioned, you know, growing up in Toronto and, and seeing other people who didn't look like you. And so I wonder, you know, like how that impacted your experience. I mean, you just, you mentioned it, you know, like it was kind of like this escapism and yeah. a lot of folks have that sort of like insecurities in in their career, you know, like in their schooling, mm-hmm. like even things, you know, I actually, I remember I I recorded an episode a few months back about the warning signs on when you need to leave your job, like when it's time for a new mm-hmm. job. And one of the things that I picked up on, you know, that I, that I talked about was the unhealthy coping mechanisms, because, you know, you mentioned, you know, the alcohol, I mean, and, and you were very young, this is, you know, before you started in your career, but this isn't actually, you know, like a, a recent guest also shared, you know, like I was really unhappy in my career mm-hmm. and that would manifest itself in drinking. Like that would manifest mm-hmm. like going out and like every weekend. And so unfortunately, this is like a really recurring theme that I'm seeing, yet I don't hear a lot of conversations about it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, like I know when I was in uh, in an office, I, because here's the thing, like growing up, we saw our parents like working in factories or, or like uh, carpentry and they were always hustling. So their wish, a lot of uh, the parents that I, even my friends, their, their parents wish that they would go to university. They would get that office job. And, you know, just even the, their narrative around like the dinner table in the house of like, you know, you've made it if you work in an office, right? Or if you're a doctor or if you're a teacher, (laughs) right? And it's that, oh my God, like maybe I shouldn't be working at um, like a factory as well or a store because there's something wrong with it. And it wasn't that there was something wrong with it. It was just like, just the, the stories in our home, right? Like you have to get an office job because it pays well and then you're not struggling and you're not and you're just you're not hustling for money right so when I went into the corporate world it was it was hard because I found like again it was like we didn't see a lot of Latinas and I say we because my sister worked in the same office as I did and we would say like 
oh my God, how many Latinas are here or, or Latin people, right? And we could count the number of people like in our hands. And it was like, what is going on here? So that even the presence of that, it changes the energy of you going into an office. Do you know what oh, I mean? Of yeah. course, absolutely. I mean, like the pressure of being the only, you know, one of the things that I, I recently talked about was how, um, well, my guest and I, we were the only Central Americans, not only in our office, but that our coworkers knew. So like you would show up and it's like, you weren't just showing up for yourself. You weren't just showing up for your family. You were showing up for your entire country, you know? And if you did something wrong at work, it was like, oh, well, you see, I told you like Central Americans couldn't have this job. Um, so yeah, it absolutely changes the narrative and it creates that pressure that many of us have felt of like, oh my God, I'm representing all of my people. And one thing that I also wanted to say is that you said um, about your parents and like, you know, just getting the office job. And I grew up with that same belief too. I think many of our, uh, I think that's actually a hallmark of being a first generation professional. Like many of our parents, I mean, have been amazing parents, thankfully. Mm -hmm. Like I'm so lucky that I had wonderful, wonderful parents who really instilled in me the value of education and the value of getting a good job. They just didn't necessarily know what a, good job was like I also thought yeah mm -hmm. working in office listen I've worked in plenty of offices that were not great like working in an office does not mean good job uh like I've been in working in an office and been underpaid I've been working in an office and had a toxic boss so like there is but again when when you when you when you grow up seeing your parents do like that manual physical labor that really takes a toll and it's like yeah like a nice cushy office job so just wanted to sort of like point out that narrative of like all these yeah. messages that we pick up growing up you know and it's yeah. one of the reasons that I found that many people don't have like clarity in their career like what it is that they 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 want to do because it's like well you know, like doctor, lawyer, teacher, you know, like I'm in an office, like what else do you want from me? I, I did the thing. I, you know, so people don't yeah. know because they may not necessarily have the, like the mentorship. And anyway, I am I'm going off on a tangent. So I would love to keep hearing about you. So you said you and your sister worked in an office and like mm -hmm. you felt, you know, that, that you two were one of the very few Latinos or Latinos in the room. And so mm -hmm. how did that, you know, like, how did that show up in your career? Uh, one of the things that I learned, like one of the lessons I learned when I was there and I left the corporate world was just the, like you said, the mentorship, right? Like when, in my case, like my parents um, were, first generation, no, they weren't first generation, but they were like the parents that came, the immigrant parents that they didn't also have the guidance. They just knew they came to Canada to make a better life for their kids. So mm -hmm. they didn't have that guidance to say, hey, you know what? You could work in an office job, mm -hmm. right? It was just like, where do I go make the money so I can pay, right? for like for the bills and and to keep the family running so that was passed on to us of like you just gotta work and figure it out how to do it and it wasn't um intentionally it was just like that that generation it gets passed on to generation right of like if you don't know or you're not given that information right because I, I I feel like there was that lack of information and then it got passed on to us so it's like 
okay, so how do you go into an office and say, um, in my case, let's say, um, I'm struggling hard at home and I can't, I can't perform here right now, right? Where I would see people, other people doing it and they were doing it so comfortably. They were like, yeah, I told my boss that I had a stressful weekend and I couldn't come to work on Monday or I wasn't able to finish this. Where for me, I'm just well, like, I, I don't even know how to say that, right? Like even just learning how to to say what you're, you need out of your job or your boss or like what kind of support do you need from the company? Like I had no clue until I started talking to other people that were going through similar experiences. Yes, that self-advocacy in the workplace, you know, like it's so important, like being able to say what you need from your job. I... I didn't know we were allowed to do that, yeah. <laughs> you know? And like you said, like other people can do it so comfortably, you know, like I didn't know that in most like large employers, you have like an HR employee relations coordinator person, you know, I mean, I'm sure, uh, or like a liaison, I'm pretty sure their name is not coordinator, their title is not coordinator person. Uh, but you know what I mean? That just goes to show that like still to this day, I'm like, all right, I know that there's like an HR business partner I can reach out to, or, you know, like a employee relations rep, but I didn't know that. And it was, you know, a colleague who, who told me that, you know, like, this is the process for this and this is, you can mm -hmm. do that for that. Yeah. So like being able to like advocate for yourself in the workplace is a skill that must be um, developed. So yeah. thank you for, 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 for pointing that out. Okay, so thank you for reminding us that we can and should be advocating for yourself in the workplace. So um, please continue. You were telling us, you know, like that you were showing up in, in work and, and understanding, well, actually not having that understanding that you could ask what, for what you need, that you could say, hey, I'm struggling. Yes. And one of the things that I, um, I do want to say is that, you know, I saw other people or, or I've heard other people like share with me is that they had a drinking problem and they would ask for help. Like they were like, I need to go to rehab and work would help them with that, which I had no clue. I could do that. I was like, Oh my God, I could have done that. Like here I was, you know, repeating that pattern, like Monday to Friday, just white knuckling it through a job that I was just really wasn't aligned with me, drinking to stress relieve it, right? And then turning into an addiction. And then I would just continue that cycle for many years, right? Not even realizing that if I had that problem, I could go to like my job, right? My corporate job and say, you know what? I have a problem and I need to get help and have that time off. Yeah, absolutely. In the US, I don't know how it is in Canada, but I believe that it is covered under FMLA, like Family yeah. Medical Leave Act, you know? So like you, like it is a medical need to to get help for substance abuse issues you know like mm -hmm. it, is, it is a medical reason and just like your job will be protected if you are like a car accident and you're in the hospital god forbid for like six weeks you do have that protected leave so 
when did you realize that you had a problem and what was the process of getting help like for you? Okay. So I, you know, towards my last year of, um, of my addiction, I just, I called in sick a lot. I, um, my work wasn't done a hundred percent. I would just like skip through things, make mistakes. Um, I was, I had a lot of anxiety. I would go to work and just start to feel like, um, my managers weren't happy with me. People were upset. It just started to get really uncomfortable being at the office. You know, I just, I couldn't stay there. Um, so that was like when I was working, um, in the office and just on a personal level, I just started to feel, which it, it affects where we work as well. I just started to feel really dark inside. It was just like the alcohol that used to help me now wasn't helping me. So I was drinking a lot more. So that way I could feel that euphoria that I mentioned earlier and that stopped working. So I, um, someone actually, I went to go see an addictions counselor and she said, you know, have you ever tried recovery groups? And, uh, I said, no, I said, you know, where we come from, you just stop cold Turkey and then you just stop drinking and you just, you're successful, right. Or you just, you're always going to be an alcoholic. Really? That is so interesting to me. So I was raised Mormon and I, and I've shared, you know, in, in this podcast, I'm actually like, I feel like that's, it's not my main identity to be like, you know, like post-Mormon or ex-Mormon or whatnot, but I was raised Mormon. So mm-hmm. I didn't even have, like, I didn't drink, like I didn't drink. I was a very goody two-shoes Mormon. <laughs> I'm sure there's plenty of people who were Mormon and drink, yeah. but I was like a super, super goody two-shoes. Like I didn't drink until I left the Mormon church. Um, so when you're saying that like, oh, like in, in, in our cultures, like people, like if they stop drinking, they quit cold Turkey. I'm like, oh really? I didn't know. <laughs> you know? So like, again, because I had no, um, just like no understanding because I was raised, you know, like very religiously conservative and like, and the messages in the church is like, oh, if you have any sort of like alcohol, you're like an alcoholic, like mm-hmm. Satan is going to take you, like, bring you down to, like, eternal darkness. Like, that was Mm -hmm. kind of the messaging. Like, I mean, that was also the messaging for if you had coffee. So, you know, not the most, uh, not the most, uh, I don't know, definitely not the best messaging and actually a surefire way to, I mean, it's why many, I'm not even going to start going into all the religious background. I'm sorry. Um, But I guess it's like all of this context, like I didn't know. And so, you know, like because my my own disaffiliation was so traumatic and, you know, like I was, you know, like coping in, in a way that was unhealthy and it wasn't, I didn't realize, again, so my religious affiliation was so traumatic and I was raised that like, if you had like one drink of alcohol, you were like an alcoholic. Um, And so, and again, like I, and I use that term because that was the messaging that was Mm -hmm. given to, to us in church. Mm -hmm. Um, So I didn't know what like a healthy relationship with alcohol or like a quote unquote healthy relationship Mm -hmm. with alcohol could look like, or should look like, or um, but that, what that means is that I also didn't know what an unhealthy relationship with alcohol looked like. And it wasn't like, I, I also, I mean, I remember 
you know, like after my disaffiliation and all the trauma and all like the beanstalk, like I, I look back and I call it like my summer of drunk crying in clubs. And like, you know, like I don't really, um, like I've, I've since healed, seen, you know, seen a lot of therapy, um, but it was, it took me a long time, like being separated from that to mm. look back and like have this like gradual decision of like, you know, I don't really need this in my life, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so I guess that's to say, wow, I had no idea that the culture a- around drinking or not drinking was, you know, like I, I didn't know what the culture of stopping to drink is like outside of someone who was raised Mormon. So I just wanted to say thank you for sharing yeah. that. Yeah, absolutely. And like, I didn't know, and I grew up, I was born in Canada. I grew up, well, I was grew up Canadian, Ecuadorian, like, so, you know, there was a mix that in itself had its, its challenges. Right. Uh, and, and so I grew up very like Ecuadorian in our family. Right. So, um, I like I had no idea like um, recovery was possible right like when someone told me that they went to rehab I'm like oh my god that's a brilliant idea (laughs) like (laughs) I didn't know that there's like that's how much I just didn't know we didn't it wasn't exposed to us and that's what it is right it's like when you're told those narratives of like that person you know has either died due to alcoholism or they're always going to be an alcoholic, or they quit cold turkey because they found God, which that's, you know, that's what I've, the narrative that's been in my head all the time. So when I went to go see my addictions counselor, she explained to me what I had, like, it was not just something that when I drank one drink, I was okay. It was just like something happens inside of me that triggers my brain to just want more. So there is like this reason why I do it. And, and it helped me to explain. And, and it's not for everybody that explanation, but for me, I'm like, okay, that made sense when I just had one drink, why I just was like crazy for another one. All of a sudden it's like, I need to have more, right? And, and having her explain that to me and, and suggest like recovery groups or to talk to other people about it, um, so that way I didn't have to recover alone, like to find other people that were going to the same thing. It helped me to understand myself more because there is people that understand themselves and what happens when they drink. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is definitely a lot of, of power in community and a lot of power in reflection and knowing that you're not alone, you're not broken. There's nothing wrong with you, mm-hmm. you know, like there's, yeah. So so yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. So how did that affect your career? You know, and like, were you still, you know, like when you, once you found like, hey, these are the ways that I can get help, were you still in, in your corporate role or what was that like? Yes, I, I was still in my corporate role. And during that time, I got sober, I got separated, um, you know, but it didn't affect my work as much because now I was clear headed, Right. I started to advocate for myself. I moved different positions and, you know, I got, sorry, I'm just going to pause you there because you made a motion with your hands when you went up and I'm like, yes, I am here (laughs) for self-advocacy. I am here for promotions and upward mobility. So I love it. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, knowing that I, I could do it, I could do an interview, right. Um, That I didn't need to drink to do it. 
right? And just to get different like managers or people in my like just my friend group to help me to 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 help me also to create that um kind of like that I don't want to say the image but just to help me to get there right it's like because I needed help because I it, I felt like when I was in the corporate world it was like a different playground than what I grew up in interesting how so yeah. like, what do you mean a different playground because um I found like for myself in, in the corporate world, it's just, it's almost like you have to know how to play the game, right? Oh yes, that is my entire coaching practice. And I was like, this is what the game is. These are what the rules are. This is how you play the game and how you get Yeah, it. so, so it's yeah. like a, you know, like a school ground. And it's like, you know, when you went to go play with the with that kid and they were like, you can't do this, you can't do that. And you can't do that. And it's like, wait, there's so many rules. And it takes away your authenticity of how you want to be you know if if you allow it to but you know at the same time there is a reality of there is a culture within the corporate world mm -hmm. and oh yes it and it's not like it's not like any judgment on it it's just a culture that for myself it was like I try to fit into a square peg into a round hole mm -hmm. and that was because I just wanted to like make it like it was that illusion of like, if I'm in the corporate world, then I'm okay. But that also was associated to the reasons why I drank, right? Because mm -hmm. I wanted to feel okay. So I thought if I change my external world, I'll feel better inside. Yes. Oh my God. That is making so much sense because yeah, like it is, you know, the corporate maybe the, the rules are a little different depending on your industry, you know, like the rules in accounting or marketing may be a little bit different from like finance and tech, but at the end of the day, it's about knowing the rules and it's, there's only so much that we can control about our environments and our circumstances, you know, like that's, we, I would say we have very limited control of that, but it's internally. And like, you know, I go back to like telling the stories and like the narratives that we create it's, it has to come from within. Like I do mindset coaching and, and one of the things is like confidence and it's like, no, no, you can't buy confidence. Like you can't go out and get another degree and think that's going to make you feel confident. It has to come from within. So it's, you control the inside, you control, you know, what's up here in your mind mm -hmm. and then you can show up more authentically, you know, like you, you can show up as, as your authentic self. So I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. And, you know, I, I took um, my job at the corporate world so personally, because I felt like it was, I had a lot at stake, but I realized it was because it was how I was feeling about myself. Right. Uh -huh. And I had yeah. friends. Yeah. I had friends there that were like, don't take it so personally, like she, she or he, they're acting this way, but it's just the way their style is, or they, that's how they approach people. And I was just like, no, you know, it's because, you know, I'm like this and I'm like that, or I should be better. Like, then I try to change myself to be better. And I just am in the hamster wheel. Right. And then, you know, I worked long hours. I, you know, I just was constantly on even in the weekends and just, trying too hard and that was for me like I realized it wasn't about them it was about me and and how I was I wasn't feeling I had this missing piece that I was trying to get from my job at that time 
Yes. Oh my God. Yes. I, I hear that. One of my favorite like pieces of, I don't know, life advice I got from Instagram, let's be honest, <laughs> but it's basically saying, you know, it says it was like a quote. It was, um, you working long hours is more of an indication of your lack of confidence than an indication of your commitment to the job. And mm -hmm. I hear that. And the reason that it stuck with me, you know, and I'm sure it didn't originate from Instagram. I'm sure it was part of maybe like some bigger, larger tech talk or something along those lines. But the reason that it stuck with me is that so many times I talk to like successful women who look back at their careers and say, when I was working more hours, it was, I mean, you know, like you didn't say the term insecure, but you said you were looking for something externally, mm -hmm. you know, like it, it always comes back to like this, like insecurity or this feeling of like, like emptiness or like something that we are trying to seek this external validation and no, and no matter how many long hours you work, if you don't fix what's on the inside first, you can work all the long hours you you want and you're still not not ever going to feel like you're good enough or worthy enough yeah um, you know like regardless of what the role is so yeah thank you yes. so much for, for sharing that so yeah. I have just like a question let's mm -hmm. say someone is listening to this and they're kind of like huh is that me <laughs> you know like they're kind of starting to to like maybe wonder you know, like if, if they're, you know, like, or maybe they were like me and maybe they were someone who like, didn't have any sort of idea of what, like a healthy relationship, you know, with like, not just alcohol, but like any substance or really any other unhealthy coping mechanism, but let's focus on, mm -hmm. on alcohol because we're in substance abuse prevention month. Um, what would you say are some of the red flags? And then also what are some of the actions that someone can take if they're like, you know, starting to wonder if they need help? Yeah, so thank you for that question. So it and you know, it's this question I get asked a lot. And it's really hard, I find for the people that I work with to um, answer that question, because sometimes when something has become your norm, it's hard to see if there's something wrong or um, pinpoint it. So what I tell them is to first ask them themselves how they feel in terms when they see alcohol, like, or if they drink it, how are they feeling about it, right? Because if it's like an object, right? If you have an object that's here and you can pass by it, right? It's like, okay, it's just a glass of water. Mm -hmm. You don't think anything of it, your mind moves on. But if you see alcohol, like what, what are you thinking about it when you see alcohol, right? Because it'll spark different, your brain to just go, oh man, I want it. So this is my thought is like, when I was drinking, it's like, I can't wait to have this drink so I can feel better. And it's very different. There's people and there's the culture, the, the what is it? The mom culture, the mom wine culture. Yeah. Like, like the that, why no mom culture. You yeah. Know? <laughs> it's like that, that coping mechanism of like, I just, you know, or when we have that piece of chocolate, you know, that oh, feels so good that, you know, that little adrenaline, you know, it's very different than having the dialogue continue because when the dialogue is there going, 
you know what? I just, I need it. I want it. Like, uh, when am I going to drink it again? Like all these different conversations within your head, like watch out for that. And chances are, if you're asking yourself, do I have a problem with alcohol and it's lingering, it most likely you do. Cause you don't ask yourself that question if you don't. I think what happens is we try to talk ourselves out of if we do or we don't, because if we say we do, then it's like we have to do something about it. Right. So don't say I have to do something about it. Like first admit to yourself, you know what? I have been drinking too much or I think I have a problem and just stop there. Because most of us don't want to admit to ourselves because then we think we have to take action. But what if that was the only action that you had to take was admit it? That's really powerful. Wow. Um, thank you. Thank you so much for, for sharing that. And I mean, I don't mean to like diminish the plighter, but what you're, what mm-hmm. you're saying, like, oh, if this is, if you're like asking yourself this question, one parallel I want to draw to careers is that people ask me all the time how do you know when it's time for a new job? And I'm like, look, man, if you're asking yourself that question, it's time for a new job. Just like the fact that you are asking yourself, you know, like if it's time for a change, regardless of what that change may be, you know, like careers, I said, are very important. They're not the most important thing. Definitely like Mm -hmm. how you treat yourself and your body, like your physical and mental health are our most important things. So yeah, like if, if you're wondering if you need to make a change there I'm like oh, well I mean it sounds like <laughs> it's yeah yeah, yeah. And, and you know with the with and going back to the career it's I find we don't give ourselves permission to ask ourselves what we really want it's almost like it has to be followed by this um conversation of like well can I really leave like you know you just you ask that question um and people, when they're asking themselves that question is like, we're asking ourselves because there's our intuition or something and our soul is saying, this is not working for me. Yeah. But a lot of us, I know for myself, I was afraid to say it because in some, it shifts a lot. In some ways it shifts a lot about ourselves. And sometimes our work can become our identity. Yes. And it's like, okay, so now if I'm not that corporate person, who am I going to be? Now I have to explain myself to you know, my kids, my partner, my family, like, oh my God, it's like, we go into tomorrow mm-hmm. and we need to answer those questions when it's just like, I just want to know if I should move my job or my career or not. Right. Yeah. And what is coming to mind is, you know, like our minds are not wired to like seek out what is best for us. Our minds are wired to seek out what is known to us. Mm-hmm. so you know it goes back to like what you said <laughs> it goes back to like what you said snap, snap. <laughs> yeah thank you I'm here laughing like trying not to laugh but <laughs> it's okay yeah like you were snapping and I'm like it's you know I'm, but but yeah it is like it's like our, our minds want what is known because what is unknown is scary and yeah maybe what is unknown is success what is unknown is a healthy you know like a better relationship with alcohol or like you know with like how you treat your body or bit better relationship mm-hmm. with your family or like maybe it's moving across the country who knows but it's if it's a change and yeah like our minds want to protect us from change because change is scary change is unknown and so even if 
there's something wrong right now our minds don't want to make that change because like once they acknowledge it's like wait like but who am I you know and like yeah it's I mean I've I've experienced that even when I when I left higher ed and actually I feel like I was a student for forever it took me six years to finish my bachelor's you know like non-traditional you know like path and then I took me forever to like finish my master's well not forever but it was still when I was getting to graduate I was like who am I if I'm not a student like who am I if I'm not studying for some test or writing some paper or like worried about like finals like my entire life revolved around the academic calendar and then I also worked in higher ed so I was like trying to plan vacations and I'm like what first labor day september you mean like when classes start no <laughs> it's like what april you mean like the end of the semester when i have to submit all the accreditation and reports and graduation no 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 so like for so long my life was just you know revolving around the academic calendar but it you know to like to bring it back to like what you were saying it's like yeah it's like wait who am i um so yeah so so thank you so much um any advice that you may have for someone who may be um asking yourself that question because you said you can just answer that question and then that's it but that is a huge change so what can someone do like if if they're asking themselves that question and saying okay maybe I do want to change yeah I mean like the first thing I would suggest is like to talk to somebody talk to somebody that they trust because sometimes um you know it's it's hard when we're going through that, it's such a vulnerable piece and we want to reach out to somebody that will get it right. Or, you know, that you have trust in and, um, also to look for podcasts, like look for podcasts that have about like drinking too much, um, books that, um, that do answer the questions. I mean, I know for myself, I was just like, on like YouTubing everything just to get answers to what I was thinking. And just like, cause I didn't know, I was like, I don't know if I have a drinking problem or not. And even sometimes we don't even know that, right. We're still just drinking, just um, trying to make it through life. Right. And, and then just alcohol is just, you're drinking it, but you're feeling bad the next day. So that's also another indication is if you're drinking and you wake up, and you're hungover every time you drink, like that's also part of like the indication, okay, I am drinking too much. You know, there's something, and, and you're not feeling well about it. Cause you know, there's some people that they party and they're hungover and they move on. You know, if there's anxiety lingering on, um, beating yourself up, lingering on, that's also an indication of, of um, there's something wrong with like you and you're drinking the relationship you have with alcohol and blackouts, right? If you're having blackouts, I had blackouts from when I first started drinking. Like until I got sober, I didn't even know that blackouts were not normal, a normal thing. I thought everybody did it. I just thought I didn't know how to drink, but it's because I went from zero to a hundred when I drank. Yeah. Yeah, no, of course. And I am actually, um, yeah. So, so what, what I heard you say, sorry, like what I heard you say is like, find someone who is trusted, someone who is safe and educate yourself. 
And, you know, it reminded me of what I was talking about before we started recording is that I'm someone who like reads all the info posters. So when you were saying yeah. like binge drinking and I remember thinking like, well, according to that poster that I read on campus, which by the way, is how I found out about October being National Substance Abuse Prevention Month. I think something, I think binge drinking, at least for me, the, when I read it, I remember thinking I was like, wait, that's considered binge drinking. That's just like a night out. So, yeah. you know, so like, <laughs> so, which is like looking back and saying that out loud, it's like, oops, um, let's see. Binge drinking is defined as consuming five or more drinks at an occasion for men or four or more drinks at an occasion for women. But like, here's the thing. I remember being at like an event, like a work event. And like, I was, you know, I was still Mormon at the time, but I remember like, watching what people were drinking and like all right that's like three bottles of wine for this table you know and it was like they each had a couple of drinks for the reception so like when I remember when I so like that was kind of like as I've said it before like I didn't really have like any understanding of what is you know healthy versus unhealthy um and I don't want to say normal because just because it's normal doesn't mean that it's healthy um so when I remember reading five or more drinks on an occasion or four and I was like Literally every time that I've been around alcohol, I have seen that. So, <laughs> oops, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, so, yes, yeah, so I guess that's my PSA for the day. That's actually the uh, CDC definition of binge drinking. Um, but yes, so going back to, to what you said, build community, inform yourself apparently read all the info posters which I guess they worked for me oh you know like an educational <laughs> campaign yes that is how Carly gets her education um but, but uh also you know like build community so you know the last question that I wanted to ask is you, you mentioned that you know and, and this was before we started recording but you mentioned that you want to focus on working with Latinas you know and then you yes. brought up a little bit of culture in our conversation so why do you think it's so important for Latinas to to have these conversations yes I mean I I feel a calling for myself uh recently that it's to to change my uh my focus on narrow my clients towards uh, latinas because i just found um the more uh, latinas i talked to uh even some of my closest friends that um we drank together when we were in high school and and we connect with each other once in a while we were talking about that and just how in our culture we don't really talk about drinking and how it um, whether you're the drinker or you have people in your family drinking and it affects you right and how it affected us um, and why aren't we talking about it and you know one of the things that I um, that I feel is there there is a lot of shame to to it and there's a lot of pain there's a lot of healing that that needs to happen and and that healing starts with talking and changing the narrative that we're not um we're not broken like you said we're not broken we're we're some of us are people in pain that use alcohol to cope other people use other things to cope with alcohol it's just something that I know in our family was so normalized like I just thought everybody drank like when I went to my friend's house and they were drinking I saw their dads drinking like milk or like juice I was like what are they drinking? Like, aren't they drinking beer? Because I always associated 
with Latino men drinking beer. Like what else are they going to drink? Right. So changing that narrative as well. Right. So that way um, we, we, as a community, just help our future generations. Like for me, I know with me and my kids, like they've seen drinking, but they've also seen recovery. Right. And that's so beautiful. Yes. And and I, and I just like, I always feel so like warm in my heart because it's like, I feel like that for myself, that's my calling is to go into a community just with some of the women that I've talked to. And just, they were like, thank you for sharing that. It's, we don't talk about it. It's so hidden. There's a lot of denial. Uh, There's a lot of pain that, you know, we'll have to walk through, but like, I'm ready to do it. And just, yeah yeah oh thank you so much Jess this has been so amazing so enlightening so I definitely want our listeners to know how they can work with you how they can get in touch with you just please tell us yeah so I have one-on-one coaching and uh, they can find me at life and recovery in instagram Okay, great. And so because you mentioned you were in Canada, is that open to folks in the United States? Yes, I do online coaching as well. So they can book a call with me and we'll talk and coordinate a time to work with me. And uh, yeah, I look forward to hearing you. Okay, great. Thank you so much. I'll make sure to to link your, your Instagram handle, Life in Recovery, in the show notes. Um, and to everyone who is listening, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, thank you so much for supporting the podcast. If you can rate and review, we would really appreciate it. And if you listen to this episode and you learned something new, or maybe it's helping you unlearn something, take a screenshot, share it tag me, tag Jazz. We definitely want to hear from you. All right. Thanks everyone. See you next time. Bye. Bye.